Welcome. This is the Planet Mitch podcast featuring Planet Mitch from PlanetFyD.com. Wait. Wait. No. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, wait. This is the DSLR Film Noob podcast starring DJ. Hi, I'm DJ. Hi, DJ. This is episode number 81 called Mitch Takes Over the Show and Ruins It. <laughs> if you're not familiar with the show format, uh, myself, <laughs> I am DJ from DSLRFilmNoob.com. And Mitch, of course, is Mitch from Planet5D.com. And we always enjoy our Friday mornings together. We've got some news. We've got some information to share with you guys and a couple of announcements, some strange... Uh, some strange bedfellows with GoPro. But first, Mitch, before we get started, <laughs> what have you been up to, man? Uh, I am I am really excited, DJ. Uh, I think we talked about it briefly last week, although that was so long ago, I don't remember. Uh, but we have two, pod, uh, two podcasts. Okay, let's start the show over. We have uh, two <laughs> webinars set up that are coming up, and I can't give the links yet because I don't have the sign-up form set up yet, but we're doing a webinar on 4K whether or not it's right for you coming up on February 9th and the following Tuesday, we're going to be doing a webinar on time-lapse with Ron Reisman from camera town who does some really cool um, training sessions out in Arizona, which you might want to go to. So now quick those. question while we're talking about time-lapse, what do you use for your battery system when you're doing an extremely long time-lapse? Uh, I don't do extremely long time lapses, so this is a trick question for me. Um, Sorry, Mitch. Didn't mean to put you on the spot there. <laughs> sure you did. You love doing that. And uh, Ron will answer that question on our webinar <laughs> coming up <laughs> on February 16th, I guess it is. The Yeah. How's that for plugs? Right. Myself here, I've actually been testing something brand new that uh, apparently I wasn't supposed to uh, send links out for yet. But uh, this is the Ceramonic uh, wireless system. This is one of the first tiny, cute, two-channel wireless receivers that I've seen. And I more commonly, and I think I've shown it on the show before, use the Asden XC100 series. So I'll be testing those two this week. Also, I got vaccinated Heading Whoa. to Peru in June for some work, and uh, apparently uh, you have to get like six or seven vaccinations that I've never had before. So both of my arms are sore. I feel a little woozy, and I'm <laughs> not quite my normal self after <laughs> getting a round of uh, yellow fever and uh, TB and a few other things that uh, apparently I was never vaccinated for. But yet you went to China or Singapore last two weeks ago or apparently there's nothing of danger <laughs> there uh knock on wood i i didn't come back with anything but uh there are travel alerts for that section of peru that i'll be visiting in lima so Sounds definitely cool. gotta, gotta what are you gonna shoot uh we've got the there's a volcano festival that we're doing a travel log for I, I, well, I can't tell you the company, okay. but we're shooting a travel log uh, for them for uh, the Volcano Festival that's happening in Lima during the a certain time in June. And then cool. we also scheduled some vacation time, and I managed to get my wife to come with me. So we're going to wow. do uh, three or four days of work and then probably a week worth of uh, hanging out, going to see possibly Machu Picchu if uh, everything works awesome. out okay. Yeah, that sounds cool. So how much are those wireless units we're talking about? Uh, they're 249 
So they're extremely cheap. They're uh, well, extremely affordable. They're UHF build quality, solid metal. Uh, the receiver unit is the same size as the transmitter pack. The base kit comes with a single transmitter and a receiver that's capable of receiving uh, two sources of audio. So you can get another receiver pack for uh, about 140 bucks. So your total expenditure is about $400, and that's two transmitters and a single receiver for your DSLR. Plus it has a headphone output, full controls on the front, and it operates in the 600 megahertz UHF band. So not one of the ones that uh, the FCC has been knocking out of <laughs> use, which is very nice. Uh, it's really interesting because this design is smaller than the Sennheiser G2 and G3 packs that I normally use, and it's able to receive two channels. So if the audio quality is even halfway decent on these things, it's going to be a win for a lot of people, especially at that price tag. Yeah, that's that's pretty darn cheap. Yeah, so cool. look look for the review on that. I'm actually I'm taking that to the coast this weekend to play around with and uh, do some distance testing and so on. And I'll do some side by sides with a few other wireless packs and well as well as check check out check out the mic <laughs> and so on. But I think Mitch, it's probably time, time for the news. Time for the news. Time for the news. The first up is actually something that we were kind of debating on whether we should put in the show notes or not. And this is the rumors of the new Canon 1DX Mark II. Now, you'll notice something in the specs, and this comes from canonrumors.com, that is pretty interesting. And that is 4K video at 60 frames per second. Uh, They're going to be using the CFast 2.0 media cards for that particular capture mode. And 16 frames a second. That is possibly one of the fastest full frame well i should say full frame yeah. almost full frame dslr cameras uh speeds available what do you think about this these specs i know they're rumored mitch but it looks pretty sexy yeah uh very interesting specs i would of course love to see 4k because you know that's what everybody needs on their <laughs> find out more on the seminar uh, webinar yes coming up next tuesday uh not next Tuesday, but February 9th. Anyway, uh, that's I hadn't really paid attention to the frames per second. That's pretty pretty astounding. And especially I'm confused because this is live view mode. Well, that's because the the um yeah, the mirror is locked up in live view mode. That's why it's 16 frames. Why wouldn't it be faster if you're locking up the damn I guess you have to deal with the with well, the, with the sensor shutter. or with the uh, with the shutter. Shutter. the shutter locked up, it's basically limited by the read speed from the sensor itself. So you would be stuck and prohibited on how many frames you can get out based on the buffer rate and the bandwidth between the sensor and the processing chip. So that is it probably is, your bottleneck. It is more data than simply video especially 1080 videos. So um, interesting. And, and suddenly my tongue flips out. Uh, they also are, uh, Canon Rumors also had a little note about the ADD. I know you're going to mention that. But, wah, wah, wah. You know, I am taking over the show today, so. 
Uh, if you're not uh, familiar with the 70D, uh, the 80D is a very iterative upgrade that is rumored to be coming very soon. It's not very exciting at all. Uh, in the rumors, it's basically just saying upgraded AF with a few extra picture styles and features added to the camera. If you're familiar with the Rebel line, and Mitch probably knows as much about this as I do, they don't really do much in the way of major upgrades to the Rebel system anymore. Uh, from the T2i to the T3i, they added the flip-out screen, and from there, the sensor stayed pretty much the same all the way up to the T5i with very simple improvements, and then they crossed the line into the 70D and the 60D and all, all these other cameras that... <laughs> don't really have any major distinguishing factors, and they're all kind of just like, meh. You know, Mitch, I mean, can you think of any exciting features in that lineup that would really just make you want to get one of those cameras over anything else? I am a little different than many people on the planet, okay? Your planet. Um, the 70D and apparently the 80D will have the dual pixel AF, which you know, does theoretically give you autofocus in video, which is better than manual. What, you're going to say something negative? <laughs> no, I'm keeping my mouth shut, completely <laughs> shut, not going to complain about uh -huh. autofocus in video mode. And again, you know, it, it only applies to certain things like noobs doing video reviews like I tend to do and stand in front of a camera and wobble a little bit, which makes it nicer for autofocus. It's not necessarily for filmmaking. We've had debates about that for months and months and years and years. But so that is, is a feature that's on the 70D that was not on the T4i, for example, uh, that I that I currently have and want to sell. Anybody want a T4i out there? <laughs> anyway, um, and let's not forget, I was just talking to a guy on the phone yesterday about he's shooting with the T2i. You know, some of the older cameras still work really, really well. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to buy all the new stuff. And I know the vendors hate me saying that. But, you know, there's still lots of good stuff being made with the 5D Mark II. Whoops. And DJ's throwing stuff around his room. I'm actually, I was reaching for my T2i, which I still use on a regular basis. And you can see right here, I've got strapped to it this... Uh, USB tether. I've got a dedicated installation of Magic Lantern on this. And this camera, it's old. It's kind of beat up, but I use it all the time. It works great. It still captures good 1080p video and it has all the features I need. And you can get these for like 150 bucks now. Yeah. No flip out screen is the only, well, <laughs> two caveats. There's no flip out screen and the output for HDMI is SD. So, uh, you know, if you want high resolution video to to monitor your your SOL there, but still, right. really but still. cheap. Uh, cheaper than a GoPro, isn't it? Um, yes. <laughs> which you can now use with Periscope. Isn't this an interesting segue? Oh, look at this guy, man! He is running the show today. So if you're not familiar with uh, uh, Periscope or Meerkat, these are uh, different applications that allow you to stream live events via your phone. And it looks like GoPro's kind of jumping on the wagon here by adding Periscope support. Uh, currently, this is only for iOS devices running 8.2 and above. So we're looking at the 5S, the 6, and the 6 Plus. Uh, this will be available for the Hero 4 Black Edition as well as the Silver models. And basically what that means is you can use your GoPro 
in combination with your phone to stream live events. Uh, they're going to be showcasing this at the current X Games that are going on. Uh, I think is that at Provo, Utah? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm glued to the TV watching that. So I don't have cable, so I can't oh, 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 call. Yeah. I watch usually the the highlight videos of that. Still, <laughs> I think it is interesting that. Uh, a camera that provides a little bit better video than say your iPhone is available for this sort of live streaming application. But do you think this is going to continue to be a big trend? These sort of live streamed videos of action events going on action events. I don't know. Uh, there are a lot of people, uh, who are doing periscope, uh, as promotional stuff, like for products, uh, people who are doing motivational topics and, you know, those kind of things are doing a lot of, uh, Periscope. It's, it's, it's really trendy. Uh, I typically have been liking Blab, which is a totally different tool. And the way, the reason I like Blab, uh, by the way, is that you can do it on your desktop, like Google Hangouts, like we're doing with this. Uh, as well as doing it on your phone if you want. Periscope is phone only. So I typically am doing things that are not on my phone. I like my desktop still. I know I'm, I'm kind of archaic out here in my own planet, but uh, I think it's fascinating that you have the ability with this new tool, with Periscope, to be able to actually switch to a different camera. Uh, we'd love to see how fast the response time is on that, you know, because you're, you're dealing with Wi-Fi, and then sending it out. So I don't, I don't know if there's any slowdowns there. Uh, but it's, it's fascinating. It'd be interesting to see what the video quality is of right. that uh, Wi-Fi stream. Hopefully, you know, I don't know what built-in compression the A9 chip is, is using on the Hero 4 Black Edition. So, there may be inherent capabilities to compress that down to H.264 in a small enough format to stream via Wi-Fi without issue. Uh, still, you're on a cellular network, so if you're not dealing with a 4G connection, <laughs> you may be very limited, and there will probably be a lot of lossy compression going on. Uh, on the side note, did you notice that Facebook added a similar live streaming feature here just recently, or announced it anyhow, uh, that will allow basically a Meerkat or Periscope-style uh, video stream via Facebook. No, I hadn't seen that. So you can do live, live events in Facebook? Yes, yeah, so Facebook basically is debuting a live streaming feature uh, to compete with Periscope and Meerkat, and you will be able to use your phone the same way you use Periscope or Meerkat, only the stream will go live directly to Facebook. Uh, oh. Looks like uh, they've got some branding from a MasterCard and Taco Bell. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. When I saw that, I was I just wondered if maybe we're in a live stream bubble. Uh, it's it's interesting, and, and like you said, from a standpoint of having a dedicated computer and doing that sort of thing is great, or if you're covering a live event, that's interesting, but how many times do you need to see uh, girl shopping or you know <laughs> guy walking down the street? And those are sort of things that you don't really need live streaming 
before, you know, you can film that stuff and then upload it an hour or two later. And I don't think you're going to be able to interact enough with people to really make that sort of a good application. And that's where I get confused with some of the live streaming events. And, you know, I'm older, so maybe it's just my old manness uh, coming out. But if you're streaming with your phone and you're having to hold your phone like this or you have your GoPro out and you're using that with it, how do you interact with the people that are watching you live? You have your selfie stick like this one. Yeah, well, you have your selfie stick. So your phone's out here. You're filming yourself. But the idea of a live stream to me is, especially if you're out in the world, is interacting with the people that are watching you. And if you have your phone away from you, how do you, you know, send out messages and like receive the messages and respond to them in a manner that makes sense for the whole experience of live streaming to be enjoyable for the people that are watching? Well, I have lots of opinions on that because I I do watch Periscope events. And and it's fascinating, by the way, and now I'm going to wave this selfie stick around. Um, (laughs) Now that I'm holding on to it, I'm like, oh. Part of the problem is in order to to do this interaction that you were just talking about, you see a lot of this. If if you're listening on audio, sorry, you don't get to see a very close up of my face because people are having to – you know, read the comments on their phone. And so they get it up close to their face, right? Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, and and then if you're going to, I mean, typically you don't type an answer, right? You respond verbally, but I get kind of irritated with people who are talking about something and then somebody will make a comment and it will interrupt what the person is talking about. And therefore the whole thing is very, becomes very disjointed. So I, in terms of Periscope events and stuff like that, I typically like the ones that are are one person just talking, expressing their opinions, talking about a particular topic, and not doing a whole lot of back and forth. Now, again, Blab is interesting because it's a two-person thing. And so one person can be watching the comments that are coming in, and the other person can talk, and, and it makes it a little bit more interactive, like, you know, like Google Hangouts, if you have the chat window open. Uh, but another limitation of per- Periscope and Meerkat are that it's one person. You don't have the ability to have a conversation unless you're physically looking at those text messages that are coming in on Periscope. Lastly, before I forget, it's fascinating that that it, thing that you just talked about with Facebook, they're putting in their own streaming thing. So my my thought when you first talked about it was that you could put your Periscope stream into Facebook. Well, no, they're not going to allow that, right? Exactly. Not, and so if you build up an audience, which is what's happening on places like Blab and Periscope and Meerkat, is you build up an audience, but then <clears throat> you don't have the ability to bring that audience over with you to if you decide to start doing streaming on Facebook. It's a pain in the butt kiss. So now you've got streaming wars, right? Because you've got you got build up an audience in one platform and you don't have it on another. So you kind of have to plant yourself somewhere, which is why, of course, Facebook wants that. They want you to stay on Facebook. They don't want you to be on Periscope or all these other places. Well, and Facebook's done a really good job of actually kind of swallowing up features from things like Twitter 
and uh, YouTube. They've they've kind of been gathering all of the things that people like about these other platforms and moving them into itself. And and they are isolating all those things so that they can say, look, our users need to use this in order to be part of that community, and they can't drift over to the other side. Now, Twitter's done the same thing, you know, obviously, with uh, Periscope that's specific, right. specific to Twitter. But I don't know. As far as these streams go, I've seen brands start to do uh, these live streams or these ephemeral streams where it's only available for so many hours. And while it's interesting... I don't see how they profit from some of this stuff. So maybe I'm missing out on an entire group of people that I, I'm not aware <laughs> of, but it feels to me like they're spending money to do this, but is there return on their, is there really return on the investment? I guess yeah. is where I'm going on, on this stuff, you know? And, and the answer to that is absolutely. And it's, and it's time consuming um, but you have to you have to sort of consider it as marketing. You're spending time building up your authority. I mean, it's primarily what people or brands are going for, right? Is to be able to say we're the best brand on the market, and we're going to prove it to you by giving you free information, videos, entertain you, all that kind of stuff. And suddenly, because we're branding this stuff, you're going to really start to love our brand. And, and as opposed to ads that appear on wonderful websites like Planet5D and DSLRFilmNoob.com, uh, you know, people are becoming kind of blind to those ads. And so what's happening is that brands are having to come up with inventive ways of getting in front of the audience. And, and it's great for filmmakers, honestly, if you, if you think about the fact that these brands, these people have to get themselves in front of People, so they're going to be shooting more uh, subtly branded videos. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've seen recently somebody on Facebook will post a, hey, look at this awesome commercial or this little, you know, it's a two or three minute vignette. And at the end you go, oh, well, that was an ad for cat food or dog food or whatever. And so advertisers are having to do more and more of these little short films in order to get themselves i'm i'm going on and on and on i'm, I'm sorry. looking around on your screen here and i'm seeing subtle advertisements there's a road mic right here and if you look in the back there's an ntg4 plus so i mean uh-huh. it, it is a thing and honestly i'm sure there is some metric that makes these a valuable proposition for the the brands because they're doing it Hopefully they're not just blindly jumping on whatever social media bandwagon and don't know what they're doing, but it's still sort of uh, ephemeral to me. I I have no idea exactly how the stuff works behind the curtain. Now, speaking of curtains, actually not speaking of curtains, this has nothing to do with curtains at all. And getting back to the camera topic, uh, let's take a look at the Pin F. This camera was sort of starting to leak out last time we talked about it. Now we have official specs as well as uh, some previews and reviews from dpreview.com. This camera looks sexy. It is a classic rangefinder style camera. Uh, we've got some images here of the body. It looks really good with that silver lens. The design is in such a way that they've put classic buttons on here that uh, you know probably aren't necessary for operation but are great for aesthetic purposes. 
for example, this color wheel on the back of the camera or on the front of the camera, excuse me, you know, do you really need to adjust your white balance from a knob on the front of your camera? Probably not, but it's a sweet looking knob on the front of the camera. <laughs> now, I don't even own any Olympus bodies. And when I saw this, the hipster in me said, dang, that looks nice. But do you buy a camera just because it looks stylish? I don't know, DJ, do you? No, I haven't pulled the trigger on this one, but no. it does What's look the price cool. on this? $1,100 is the, well, excuse me, $1,200 because it's the classic $1,199.99. So <laughs> I got tricked by my own mind and, and rounded down instead of up. But yes, $1,200 for this body. It's a little, well, it's a, a bit more expensive than the OMD-5 and the OMD-10, which are also fairly attractive looking bodies. Uh, this is a 20 megapixel sensor as opposed to the 16 megapixel sensor that's offered in those other two cameras in Olympus's lineup. And it does sport the five axis image stabilization yes. and uh, video wow. features that are available in the other units. So those all make this very attractive. I'm kind of confused about Olympus's lineup, though. If you think about the cameras that they have now, the one was supposed to be the top of the line. Then the OMD5 is supposed to be the next one down. And the pin is supposed to be like the third tier level. But it feels like the pin and the five have sort of pushed past the one in the series. Mitch, do you know anything about Olympus uh, bodies <laughs> at all? I am looking at this table on DP Review that you shared. I went into their to their review story. And they have the Olympus Pen F and the Olympus OMD EM52 and the Pen EP5. I'm like, holy cow! I'm confused. Uh, let's go back to decent naming, will you? But there's 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 a lot of similarities in all of these things. It. It's good for the consumer to have lots of choices, but it's also confusing as hell to have lots of choices. Which one do you pick? You know, if you're going with purely style and you want a little bit more in the megapixel department, that that pin F looks really sexy. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't buy cameras specifically because I think they look awesome, but if I did, that has the retro style that I like. It has... A really cool design. They've used uh, leather and metal in order to, to build this. They've put clicky knobs everywhere. I mean, for pure sex appeal, I would go with that. But in practicality, the OMD5 Mark II is a little bit less expensive, offers up pretty much the same features except it's not a 20 megapixel sensor it's a 16 megapixel sensor you have the image stabilization built in the five axis image stabilization and it's less expensive and still looks arguably classy i'm trying to find a picture here of the omd5 but of course it's not omd5 because there's some other letters in that it's name omd 5 yes <laughs> with dashes in there and if you look at the images of this, and I'll share my screen for those of you watching the video here, it's it's pretty sexy. I mean, the OMD5 has some good angles to it, and uh, I like that silver and black look. Um, Price-wise, you're looking 
at pretty much the same price new. And if you look on the gray market, I think it's down to like $800. So the OMD 5 Mark II and the pin are pretty much one for one pricing wise right now. Uh, I don't know. I, I like that Olympus is still around and I like that they're making some innovations. Uh, would like to see 4K in these cameras. Uh, otherwise, weather sealing is missing also from the Pen F. That's pretty much all I got to say about that, Mitch, unless you have anything to add. I find it interesting. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by all kinds of different things in this world, especially all of the knowledge that you have in your head. On the side of the DP Review article, and I don't know if you have it, but there is a most popular cameras uh, chart. If I can bring that up. Can I, can I do screen sharing? I've never tried it. Um, <laughs> see most popular cameras. Where are you seeing that Mitch? Well, click on the read our pen review, the blue link right there at the bottom of your screen. Got it. Watch and as Mitch and I surf the internet together. <laughs> Scroll down on the right hand side. Oh, uh, right uh, here. Okay. No, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Right there. Most popular cameras. Look at that. The Olympus Pen F is on top of the list by a big margin over the Fujifilm X-Pro2. Yeah, I feel like the person that reads uh, DP Review uh, might lean towards the classier look <laughs> than yeah. the practicality. Uh, you know, no offense to DP Review because they're they're out of uh, Seattle, good, good people, but... Uh, <laughs> Every time I see one of their videos or see them at a convention, they look way classier than me. Uh, you know, mustaches and well-trimmed beards and excellent matching outfits. So in that sort of style and frame, I would say uh, a camera that looks very attractive as well would probably fit in very nicely. Yeah, well... That is not an insult, by the way, guys. I'm not in any way denigrating those gentlemen. They're they're all good people. It's just, uh, look at me in my plain Jane gray shirt, and then I am not very suave. And even if I had a nice-looking camera, uh, the suaveness would probably be lost on me in, in that manner. <laughs> so I want to control my camera with a USB thing. How do I do that, Control your camera with the USB thing. That's an interesting question, Mitch. And for only $5, you can do this. Uh, actually, this is pretty interesting. Uh, this is a cool little hack. Uh, Hackaday brought this up, and it is basically an off-the-shelf uh, wireless chip uh, using the control pins. There's two digital pins on the chip itself that you can activate the shutter and focus controls via the TRS pin on your camera. Uh, they've got a little schematic design from PCAD right here. Uh, basically, you just use two 10K resistors and a digital output from the chip itself, and you can transmit the on-off signals directly to the device. You will have to provide power, so you'll need a battery of some kind, but the total build is only $5, and this includes uh, some code on GitHub if you would like to swing over there to check that out. Uh, the chip itself does provide for two other digital pins. I believe there are four total for outputs and inputs, or excuse me, outputs. So you could theoretically do more than just uh, long exposures and focus control on the camera. And these 
are just stepping stones. If you really want to dig in the ESP8266 module, uh, you can go to sparkfun.com, any of these other places, and find these chips. Also, I think it's called the B is another wireless transmitting unit that already has built up support for application layers on your phone so that you can uh, you don't even really have to know as much about programming. You can go get someone else's code, and then you just need to know what pins you need to make high and what what pins you need to drive low in order to operate controls of your camera. So those are a few options. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Mitch, you want to know anything more about that, or is that too technical already? Uh, it's fascinating, DJ. Um, I'm confused, though, uh, frankly, because, I mean... I, I don't understand a lot of this stuff because I'm not a really nerdy, geeky guy like you are. But if it's a Wi-Fi remote control, why do you need a stereo plug that's the remote trigger? So the chip itself has uh, Wi-Fi capabilities, and then the board that it comes with has so many digital outputs. So for most cameras, the stereo plug can be used, and not your audio plug, but your regular shutter trigger plug, uh, can be used to activate certain features in the camera. And so it's very simple to just send a high TTL signal. And for those of you who are not familiar with high and low signals, in digital logic, TTL logic, uh, 5 volts is a high and 0 volts is a low. And you use a 10K resistor tied to ground to drive low and vice versa. So... With that in mind, they're just using that as an input. You could theoretically use the USB port as a serial uh, interface, but then you would need more uh, chips in order to do that. So then it goes from a $5 project, and the complexity increases dramatically because now you're having to shift register and hold things in memory and so on as commands come in. Does that make sense? Uh, uh. Huh? <laughs> no, uh, but that's okay. I don't have to understand it. Uh, I ask dumb questions. See, I, I'm, I'm just pretending so that some of the users that are that are watching our show don't feel left out. So I'm just I'm just pretending for them to be dumb. Okay. If you look at the schematic and you're not sure about it, this might be a little bit more advanced electronic theory than you. Uh, you might want to get into, but if you are familiar with that and you can do some very basic coding, uh, this is pretty much pick and place as far as building. And the tutorial that goes along with this is quite good. He explains his decision in, as far as uh, chips and what he's using, how he's controlling the pins and everything else. So watch the video in the show link if you're interested in this. Uh, just thinking about it, you know, we've had an explosion of wireless controllers for Canon DSLRs, and that was based on a couple of very specific chipsets that uh, were released over the last couple of years. And we started out with like the Camera Ranger and the IO devices. I can't even remember the name of the particular unit, but there's a bunch of those, and now we've gotten down to where there are USB wireless controllers for your camera in like the $70 range, and it's because the chipsets have become more widespread. People are manufacturing them at different uh, facilities, and now you can get your hands on all that stuff for pretty cheap. Plus, now that someone's done it, they can kind of take a look at their code, see how they did it, and then build from there. And there are several open source 
uh, communities working on various applications for USB control of Canon DSLRs. Not sure on Nikon. I've never paid that much attention to Nikon stuff, but uh, those are... <laughs> they are the left-out stepchild, aren't they? Now, moving on from there, Slim Raw is something I know absolutely nothing about. And since I hit Mitch with something that I know a lot about and he does not, let's talk about this Slim Raw here, Mitch. What is this exactly? All right. So one of the things that happens when you shoot uh, cinema DNG format, which is coming out of a lot of different cameras these days, like the Black Magics, and, and if you're using Magic Lantern, on the 5D or the 7D or you know, all the different Canon bodies that Magic Lantern is available for. Cinnamon DNG is a fairly large file set when you get it out. So it's a whole bunch of individual stills that they've, they've wrapped into a wrapper and, and made it into a little movie. So uncompressed like, raw files, basically, right? Correct. And, and that means they're very large. So if you're shooting 24 frames per second, you got fairly large package of full frame-ish or whatever size your sensor is, blah, blah, blah. And so they, they end up being pretty big. So cinema, I'm sorry, suddenly... suddenly Slim Raw. Slim Raw, thank you, is a methodology for compressing those files after they come out of your camera. Uh, I don't understand, I did not dive into a whole lot of depth in terms of the, uh, there's some sort of an IO module there. If you, if you go over to Slim Raw's homepage, uh, they talk about uh, something about direct in, which I didn't, I didn't dive into. But basically, for most people, what you're going to do is you're going to take the Cinema DNG Raw video stream out and compress it and make it a smaller file. It's lossless, so you're not losing any data as you do the compression. How they manage to do that is way beyond me, but it's a method of saving space on your hard drives for your data. So they're providing a 3-to-1 or a 4-to-1 compression ratio of raw DNG images. Uh, I'm reading here, it says, alternatively, our high-quality 3-to-1, 4-to-1 lossy CND, uh, cinema DNG compression. So there is, is there a little bit of loss in this then, Mitch? Is that what I'm understanding, or is there multiple ways to compress your DNG files? And Mitch froze on me. Uh-oh, what's going on here, buddy? Well, guys, I guess it's an early end to the show. Uh, apparently, internet has gone down, so audio listeners will get this. The video listeners will just get a complete dropout. 